Arms for a leper. Arms for a leper. Arms for an ex-leper. Arms for a podcaster. If you like this show, please go to sovcast.tumblr.com. That's S-O-V-C-A-S-T dot tumblr dot com. And look for the donate button. It's right there at the top. I'll, I'll just wait here while you go do that, okay? Hello? Blitzkrieg by Audio Machine. Welcome to Sobcast. I'm your host, Jeff, and I am a Sob, or Seeker of Veritas. Veritas meaning truth. This time in Wait What? There's good news. The word that makes female genitals sound bad. From trying to stop barbarism in Africa to trying to stop barbarism in the United States. Many Americans are socialists, whether they believe it or not. And now it's time for a quick coffee break. Then, in hard thrusting news, Robocop gets fired and charged for denting Dent's head. And a chance a coward won't get off scot-free. Then, an elementary graduate, Ted Cruz, hypocritical oaf. Then, in Oedipal Earth, the Pope's no dope. Then, in cool shit, glass kills bear, one robot trains for the singularity, and this sword's like totally tubular. Then in Darwin Weeps, suspicious wording, excite bike, and imitation is the best form of felony. Then we'll finish up with the hard ride in a segment I call not not noteworthy news. But first, wait what? There's good news? The word that makes female genitals sound bad. Before stepping down, Nigeria's former president made sure his legacy boasted fighting for women's rights and protections. Good luck, Jonathan. Yes, that's his real name. Good luck, Jonathan, signed into law last month a ban on female genital mutilation, a practice that involves partial or total removal of the external female genitalia for non-medical reasons. However, activists say laws alone won't abolish the practice, and that a systematic cultural shift is required to make sure women and girls are no longer subjected to the harmful procedure. Tanya Barron, chief executive of Children's Charity Plan International, stated that global experience tells us that ultimately it's through changing attitudes, not just laws, that will end female genital mutilation. Though the UN banned female genital mutilation worldwide in 2012, and the practice was already outlawed in a number of Nigerian states, this is the first time that the entire country has committed to stop female genital mutilation. Across the globe, 125 million women and girls have undergone female genital mutilation, according to the World Health Organization, and Nigeria has the highest number of female genital mutilation cases. The country accounts for about a quarter of circumcised females worldwide, according to UNICEF. The health risks of the practice are numerous and include heavy bleeding, developing sepsis, urinary tract infections, cysts, and becoming infertile, according to the WHO. Traditional beliefs hold that female genital mutilation will force girls to remain virgins until married and remain faithful once they wed. This is fucking horrible. Many to most women either have difficulty or can only reach orgasm through clitoral stimulation, which, as stated, is the main reason these misogynist fucking assholes do it. If a woman gets no pleasure from sex, she's less likely to leave or cheat on your sorry stupid ass. Stella Mukasa is the Director of Gender Violence and writes at the International Center for Research on Women. Phew. That title was 26 syllables long. 12 syllables longer than supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Anyways, Stella wrote, It is crucial that we scale up efforts to change traditional culture views that underpin violence against women. Doing so involves laws and policies, as well as community-level engagement and programs that work to empower girls directly. So hopefully, this new law is the first step of many in the right direction, a step in the direction of a healthy, happier sex lives and a healthier, happier society. Yeah. 
political game when it stops the patriarchation put an end to female genital to mutilation that's who say no to women's violations in the press page read women's humiliation they don't know then they need an education if girls want help who's gonna have this conversation and i'm sorry Michael buckle up schoolgirls put message to end female genital mutilation into song and our next story, from trying to stop barbarism in Africa to trying to stop barbarism in the United States. Cheers erupted and tears fell Wednesday as the Nebraska legislature took the historical step of repealing the death penalty with a politically high-stakes override of the governor's veto. Even as repeal supporters exchanged handshakes and hugs in the legislative chamber, a key defender of capital punishment vowed to keep the broader debate alive. Senator Bo McCoy of Omaha announced plans to pursue a petition drive to put restatement of the death penalty on the ballot. Remember, kids, murder is the worst thing you can do. It's so bad that if you do it, Senator Bo McCoy wants to murder you. He's dead, Jim. Let us hear it for our poor dead friends. (laughs) (laughs) Lawmakers voted to override Governor Pete Ricketts' veto of the legislative bill 268. Huh. A twisted politician lives up to his name. In the most suspenseful decision to play out in Nebraska's one-house legislature in years, the veto was overridden 30 to 19 without a vote to spare. The override replaced lethal injection with life in prison. The override vote commanded national attention as Nebraska became the 19th state to repeal the death penalty and the first with a predominantly Republican legislature to abolish capital punishment since North Dakota in... Survey said! 1973. If you like this show, please go to facebook.com slash sovcast, sovcast.tumblr.com, or twitter.com slash seeker, the letter O, Veritas. Our next story, many Americans are socialists, whether they realize it or not. Juan Cole recently wrote a compelling piece which argued that, despite media claims to the contrary, Bernie Sanders' views on a number of wealth, inequity, and a number of other issues were squarely in the mainstream of public opinion. Then, as if on cue, came more evidence to support Professor Cole's argument. A New York Times slash CBS news poll found that, in the words of Times reporter Noam Schieber and Dahlia Suzman, Americans are broadly concerned about inequity and wealth. And I do believe we have the 1% on the other line, and they will be chiming in after each point with a quick response. Are you ready, right-wingers? No means yes, if you know how to spot it. The poll found that a strong majority say that wealth should be more evenly divided, and that it is a problem that should be addressed urgently. That's not true. That's impossible. The Times headline reads, Inequity Troubles Americans Across Party Lines. A majority of voters expressed economic views which correspond closely to Bernie's message. For example, the Times reports that the percentage of Americans who say everyone has a fair chance to get ahead in today's economy has fallen 17 percentage points since early 2014. I've come on the most urgent of business. It is said that the people are revolting. You said it. They stink on ice. No, Your Majesty, this is a very serious problem. The peasants feel you have no regard for them. What? I have no regard for the peasants. They are my people. I am their sovereign. I love them. Oh! Six in ten Americans now say that only a few people at the top have the opportunity to advance, and more than half of higher-income Americans said that money and wealth should be more evenly distributed. No! No, God, please, no, 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 no. Strikingly, across party lines, most Americans said the chance to get ahead was mainly a luxury for those at the top. This is madness. We're doomed. Pollsters also found that two thirds of Americans wanted to raise taxes on people earning salaries of one million dollars or more per year, and that Americans favoring capping the income of executives at large corporations by a margin of fifty to forty-five percent. Well, that's great. That's just fucking great, man. Now what the fuck are we supposed to do? We're some real pretty shit now, man. 
These findings show strong support for core themes of Bernie Sanders' presidential campaign. Another poll's findings also seems to confer the potential appeal of the Sanders agenda. The Times reported that Americans were also skeptical of free trade. Nearly two-thirds favored some form of trade restrictions, and more than half opposed giving the president authority to negotiate trade agreements that Congress could only vote up or down without amending. Game over, man. It's game over. What the fuck are we going to do now? What are we going to do? Bernie Sanders has been a leader in opposition to both the Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement and the granting of fast-track negotiation authority to the president. The next time someone tells you Bernie Sanders is unelectable or outside the mainstream, you may want to print out the poll's findings, and then, if they're too blinded by ignorance, roll it up and let their third eye take a closer look. And no. I'm not talking about the one in the middle of their forehead. Burn Baby Burn by the Tramps. Now it's time for a quick coffee break. Seattle pot shops are now carrying cannabis-infused coffee that will work with the Keurig coffee makers. The packs of K-Cups cost about $40 for a pack of six. Now, I hate coffee, but I hope someday I'll be able to enjoy some high tea. Spin Doctors, Mary Jane. Mary Jane. Mary Jane. Please don't leave me, baby. I'll just find you again. Please know something you can do. I feel happy. I feel happy. Now it's time for hard thrusting news. Why do I call it hard-thrusting news? Because it's hard to find a news story where someone isn't getting fucked. You get up and howl about America and democracy. Well, a very, very heavy, uh, heavy divertation. It's hard to talk when you're teabagging. Fucking Bill O'Reilly sucks! Tonight's forecast, dark. Continued dark tonight, turning to partly light in the morning. I'm Ron Burgundy. Go fuck yourselves. Hey, what's happening, man? 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 I have a couple of updates from some news stories I did on my other podcast, Culture Dig, back when we did a regular news bit. And the first story is Robocop gets fired and charged for denting Dent's head. Inkster, Michigan, near Detroit. Police dash cam videos clearly show Floyd Dent, a 57-year-old man with no criminal record, being pulled over, dragged from his car, immediately placed in a chokehold, punched in the head 16 times, placed in an arm lock, kicked and tased multiple times. The officer doing the taser appears at one point to be purposely aiming for for Dent's groin. To tase his groin. Uh, When did this happen? Um, I don't know. Not that long ago. It was in Detroit. Because that is extraordinarily fucked up. Yeah, they, they, the guy was, like, trying to get it right like up his gooch, you know? Um, Did everybody just discover there were cameras built into their phones all of a sudden? Why is this all of a sudden just huge tidal waves of this? Or people well, just more aware, like they see something I going down? I think people down. are more aware of it, and especially you see more people, like, you know, you'll have people, like, cops intimidating people. Oh, you can't record us. You can't record us. That's coming up yeah, in one of the stories. Yeah, cameras, evidence, yeah. The officers also claim that Dent threatened to kill them, which could have been corroborated if... The mandated microphones the officers were wearing weren't turned off. Convenient. One of the officers claimed that Dent bit him, which in the video doesn't, no, which doesn't show. No, not biting. Which isn't shown in the video. Uh, the video does show William Robocop Melendez. Wait, 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 wait. Some guy really has a nickname of Robocop? Yes. <laughs> it, shows, <laughs> it shows Melendez clearly planting a small bag of drugs. Oh my! Like you forgot the Wait, dash so, cam was like, on. Where do the drugs come from? Does he just have some in his sock? Like, for, sh- like shows oh, we're him, gonna have to frame the, up this, one guy. This is a uh, plant purpose. The video shows him pulling out of his pocket. Wow! Off, so it's probably his own personal stash. And and it wasn't like they they found like, it in oh, his shit, pocket. They put it in his pocket. He put it under one of the seats. So they show him pulling out of his pocket and then. Wait, and what, I, why have I not heard of this? Yeah, I haven't either. <laughs> young, like, I've actually read up on some other stuff in, need to in watch relation young, to this, but nothing about this. Need to watch the Young Turks. Officer Melendez just happened to be the one who had Dent in the chokehold and then proceeded to try to dent Dent's head in. Uh, despite having a debatably cool nickname, this is not the first time this officer has been charged with planning evidence at a crime. Last time he got away with it, though. After the attack, Dent was hospitalized for two days due to his injuries to his, fa- to his head and his face. While at the hospital, Dent insisted on being tested for drugs. No drugs were found in Dent's system. 
the Inkster District Court judge, after reviewing the tape, immediately tossed out the assault and resisting arrest charges, but still Dent faces the bogus drug charges last time I checked. So the plant is on video, but they won't throw out the drug charges. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> a lot of this stuff is just total bullshit. Like, they'll have some residual charges. Right. And I forget what they call it. They call it backup charges or something. And it sounds like they're holding it over. I'm like, all right, you can sue the officer for, for battery and, and I go after last the city. Or, or we can just drop the charges and save you a lot of legal trouble. You, you know, like, it, it gives them an, an extra few tokens at the poker table. I checked last night. He was still on the hook for it. Update. Floyd Dent won a settlement of $1,377,500 against the police, but it's not ex-Inkster officer William Melendez that will pay the bill. No, Inkster property owners will soon face a one-time tax hit to cover a settlement reached between the city and the man beaten by a police officer during a traffic stop. That means property owners will shell out about $178.67. This payment will be forced on residents in a city where 38% of the residents live below the poverty line, living paycheck to paycheck, and where the medium household income is $26,512. Why Inkster isn't making William Robocop Melendez pay is beyond me. I think the man who does the crime should do the time and pay the fine. William Melendez is accused of assaulting Dent and has been charged with three felonies. Misconduct in office, assault with intent to do great bodily harm less than murder, and assault by strangulation. He was fired from the Inkster police force after the video became public. The city's police chief has also resigned in the wake of the incident becoming public. And here's a random funny piece of audio I like to refer to as a palate cleanser. Man-made extinctions have even happened before. I guess we hunted the dildo into extinction. Um, uh, but And our next story, a chance a coward won't get off scot-free. Police officer Michael Schlager in North, Carolina, uh, oh. North Charleston, South Carolina, was charged with murder on Tuesday after a video surfacing showing him shooting and killing unarmed Walter Scott in the back while the, while the man ran away. Uh, the shooting unfolded after Officer Slager dropped, uh, stopped the driver of the Mercedes-Benz with a broken taillight. According to the police reports, Walter Scott ran away, apparently over fears that he could be arrested due to unpaid child support. Uh, can we pause right there? Yeah. Uh, I have good word, as in family members and friends who are a part of the law enforcement community, so I'm definitely not meaning to be bashing on them by any stretch. But I will tell you, when a police officer pulls someone over for a bastion headlight or any kind of lighting issue, it's usually a bullshit excuse. FYI. Yeah, I know. Like, a lot of times at night, especially, uh, like, reserve deputies, reserve officers and stuff, like, they won't be... This wasn't the case in this one, but I know it's a big thing where, like, they have this list of Mopri charges they look for if they just don't like the look of a car. And a lot of times, um, reserve deputies and stuff, they won't be issued uh, speed scanning equipment, radar and stuff, and because they're not trained for it. Like, it requires, you know, like, extra training in the right. academy. They'll just pull over people of out-of-state license plates. Yeah, but, but I mean, like, there's there exists, you know, lists of, you know, like, such a thing, like, oh, they swerved in their lane a little bit, you know. Oh, you can reckless driving. Oh, yeah. I'm going to pull you over. It's absolutely yeah. a pretense. Yeah. And obviously so. And then step out of the car and it's like, well, now I'm in contact with you. Time for a Terry search. <laughs> oh, you know? yeah. Yeah. Um, Officer Schlager chased him and fired his taser, the electronic stun gun, but it did not stop Mr. Scott, according to police reports. Officer Schlager reports that Scott took Schlager's stun gun and then Schlager feared for his life, shot Scott. However, a video taken by a bystander and the coroner's report does not corroborate Schlager's story. First, the leads of the stun gun were already attached to Walter Scott, and the video shows Scott knocking the taser from Officer Schlager's hands to the ground where it laid. Scott then turns to run without picking up the taser. Officer Schlager draws his pistol and fires eight times, killing Walter Scott. The Supreme Court has held that an officer may use deadly force against a fleeing suspect only when there is probable cause that the suspect poses a significant threat of death or serious physical injury to the officers or others. I'll remind you here that Walter Scott was unarmed and the officer Schlager had no cause to believe that Scott was a violent menace to society. All Officer Slager could say for sure is that Walter Scott had a broken taillight and he ran from a police officer for, for reasons unknown to Slager. And that Walter Scott apparently didn't like being tased. <laughs> to make matters worse, the video shows Officer Slager trying to cover his ass from what he knows was an unlawful murder by picking up the taser at his feet and taking it over to Walter Scott's body and dropping it there. All right, well, this is the, you know, the other side of the story, whereas these other stories that you've read... Basically, these people are getting away with it. But now this asshole got caught, and he's been charged with murder. Yes. Like, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. In fact, <clears throat> I was reading about uh, an app that you can use on your phone 
uh, not only that will live stream any video. Yeah, I told you, you about have. that. To the, I think it was the NAACP or something like oh, that. Oh, there's a variety of them. But there's actually an app. Oh, ACLU, yes, thank you. That you can uh, it will live stream it to a different source. But it looks like the phone's there's off. There's also a screen lock that you can download that basically tells any police officer who would look at your phone, you have no right to legal right to look at my phone. Uh, so it's, it's interesting all this stuff is coming out at the moment. Frank Pasak, a 30-year-old California uh, man. Oh, did you want something? Yeah, to say? no, I just want to say about the Slager case, too. The second cop shows up at the scene, and he has his back to the camera. And he's a black officer, by the mm-hmm. way. The second cop who shows up. And he's talking to him. And then in the video, apparently, I, I couldn't make out the thing about dropping the taser next to him. And then Buchanan said something about it, and I rewatched it. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I see him dropping something next to the body, which I guess yeah. was a taser. They, they showed but, a slowed down, highlighted. Yeah, you know, yeah. Obvious. You see, yeah. It's just like something black that's going there and hitting the deck. But, um... The second officer shows up, and there's a lot of kind of conjecture about what he says, but I've heard some people are saying that he actually was telling the officer, like, you're being recorded, there's a guy over there, pick up the taser. And then he picks the taser up off the ground. But, like, the second black officer shows up and is totally complicit. Like, hey, dude, we got to cover our asses. Stop planning evidence. You know what I mean? Black Uh, cops are racist against black people, too. um, I I have quite a few law enforcement people in my family, um, mostly prior. And uh, I hear reports all the time, and they themselves are racial minorities, and uh, many of them are racist as hell. And I hear accounts from black cops all the time. Oh, yeah. Update. The North Charleston, South Carolina police officer who fatally shot Walter Scott as he fled a traffic stop this year was indicted by a grand jury Monday on the charge of murder. This indictment comes two months after Michael Slager was charged with murder for shooting and killing Scott, an event recorded by a bystander's cell phone and shared widely on cable news and social media. Slager was fired from the North Charleston Police Department and was arrested on April 7th. Scarlett A. Wilson, the prosecutor for Charleston County, announced the indictment at a news conference but said there is still no timetable for when the trial will occur. Information about the case was presented to the grand jury, and the indictment was quickly returned, though Wilson would not comment on precisely how long the jurors deliberated. If convicted, Slager faces 30 years to life in prison, with no possibility of parole. Police officers are rarely charged for shooting and killing people in the line of duty. A Washington Post investigation found that thousands of police shootings over the past decade resulted in relatively few indictments, and the few that do get indicted, generally, there are other factors that exist to make the case exceptional, such as video footage of the episode. So far this year, police officers have shot and killed more than 400 people, according to the Washington Post database tracking police shootings all year. There are three cases this year that have resulted in charges, including the North Charleston case, and all three involve video footage. So remember, in most places, it is completely legal to film the police officers. You have, you have that right. And it's probably a good idea. The video, recorded by Fiden Santana, a bystander who was walking to work at a barbershop, helped propel the case to national attention. Experts said video footage can help clarify cases that otherwise can be muddled and can be forced to rely on eyewitness accounts, which most attorneys and judges know can be often unreliable. The South Carolina Law Enforcement Division, the state agency that looked into the shooting, said investigators noticed inconsistencies in Slager's story when they began to examine it, suggesting that they thought something was suspicious even before the video emerged. But Scott's relatives disagree with that assertion. It would have never come to light, Scott's father, Walter Scott Sr., told the Today Show in April. They would have swept it under the rug like they did with so many others. I tend to agree, without video evidence, the cop always gets the benefit of the doubt. And bada-bing, bada-boom, case closed. And those clips were from an episode of Culture Dig. Those of you of the nerd geek persuasion should really check it out. And now it's time for another palate cleanser. I, I tell you what, you working for Marvel, the Super Bowl commercial, did you get a lot of reaction to that Super Bowl commercial? What Super Bowl commercial? Oh, you know what? I've been, my mistake. I, you know see, what? What? see you're, you're as crazy as the people on Twitter. Right. I'm not Lawrence Fishburne. <laughs> 
That's my fault. Oh I know that. God. That was my fault. Uh, my mistake. You know what? We don't all look alike. Father, you're <laughs> exactly right. all black and famous. You are we all guilty. I am, I, I am guilty. Um, I am guilty. I am guilty. He thought you were Bob Dylan. Right. You're the entertainment reporter. I know. You're the entertainment reporter for this station. And you don't know the difference between me and Lawrence My mistake. My mistake. I apologize. Really? My, I apologize. My, I'm look, the other guy. But, I'm the other guy. The other one. What's in your wallet? Right. <laughs> That's it. That's exactly right. There's more than one black guy doing a commercial. There it is. No question about that. Uh, I'm the two... what's in your wallet black guy. Okay. He's the car black guy. There it is. Morgan Freeman is the other credit card black guy. <laughs> you only hear his voice though, so there. you probably won't confuse him with Lawrence yeah. Fishburne. You're exact. You're out. You're 100 percent right. Uh, to Robocop, you a heavyweight black guy that's like putting cash down in the seats in a in a baseball stadium. But he's also the black guy that turns off the house, the water, and the lights when his kid tells him the house is cool. I'm not that guy either. <laughs> do we want to do a list of all the people that you're not? And I've actually never done a McDonald's or a Kentucky Fried Chicken commercial. I know that's surprising. Right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Oh man. Uh, to the original, and I'm the uh, only black guy in RoboCop that's not a criminal, okay. other than Michael K. White. Tell you what, it's obviously a great cast, and this director does have some extraordinary credits. As, as, you as do you... know who they all are, though, right? Yes, I do. I mean, just in case they have some of them on the show, <laughs> do some I work. I won't make the do same. Do some research. Make you know sure you don't confuse them with those other white actors. That are out there, like <laughs> this is a well-deserved spanking. Thank you for it. And now it's time for Elementary Graduate. The joke here is, if you came out of the elementary canal, it means you're a piece of shit. You know, you really are an asshole. Why don't you just shut up and sing this song, pal? Asshole! By Dennis Leary. Ted Cruz, hypocritical oaf, in a stunning example of the GOP's philosophy of the United States, my ass, if it's not my state, why should I give a shit? Ted Cruz seems to be flip-flopping on the policies of natural disaster relief aid. In 2013, when asked why he voted against the bill to give federal relief funds to the victims of Hurricane Sandy, Cruz said, this bill is symptomatic of a larger problem in Washington, an addiction to spending money we don't have. I think we have another recording from my telepathic microphone from when a reporter asked Texans if they should give aid to Sandy victims in New York City. New York City! Get a rope. But now that disaster has befallen people who might vote for Cruz, uh, I mean, the people of Texas, Cruz has pulled a 180. So now, I'm just curious what Bill and Ted think about Ted Cruz's, like, totally heinous hypocrisy. Bogus. Well said, gentlemen. Well said. Fake it by Seether. And now it's time for Edible Earth. Don't frack my mother. Don't frack my mother. The Pope's No Dope. On June 16th, Pope Francis is expected to release an encyclical letter on the environment, the Catholic Church's strongest statement to date on the moral issues associated with climate change. It's a move that has the environmentalists very excited, and one GOP presidential nominee less than thrilled. Once again, a Republican that shows little forethought. Why am I not surprised? During an interview with a Philadelphia radio station on Monday, Republican presidential candidate Rick Santorum, ew, Santorum, gross, look it up on UrbanDictionary.com, but only if you really want to know. Santorum, a devout Catholic, said that while he loves Pope Francis, he thinks the Pope should leave discussion about climate change to scientists. Weird, since every I'm-not-a-scientist Republican have been sticking their noses into climate science for years. I'm not a, I'm not a climate scientist. I'm not a climate scientist. I'm not a climate scientist either. 
Santorum told radio host Dom Giordano, the church has gotten it wrong a few times on science. We probably are better off leaving science to the scientists and focusing on what we're really good at, which is theology and morality. I agree. The GOP shouldn't make science-based decisions on their deficient science knowledge. Oh, you were referring to the Pope. <sighs> Santorum continued, When we get involved with controversial and scientific theories, I think the church is not as forceful and not as credible. I've said this to the Catholic bishops many times. When they get involved in agricultural policy or things like that, that are really outside the scope of what the church's main message is, that we're better off sticking to things that are really the core teachings of the church as opposed to getting involved in every other kind of issue that happens to be popular at the time. So it's okay for Republicans to not know shit and still make decisions, but it's not okay for the church to do so. Funny that the Republicans didn't think that way when the Catholic Church still opposed the use of condoms. They thought the church's non-science-based reasoning was just peachy, as long as it didn't affect any of their largest donors, like the fossil fuel industry. Instead of involving itself with science, Santorum argued that the church should stick to what it does best, offering moral guidance. Ah, but what if they morally guide you to not let big business fuck up the entire planet? Pope Francis has always talked about climate change from a moral standpoint, stressing that it's a major problem because it disproportionately impacts the poor. During a lecture to the British Catholic group CAFAD, CAFAD, I almost read that as cat food, Argentinian Bishop Marcelo Sanchez Sorando, Chancellor of the Pontifical Academy of Sciences and Social Scientists, 23 syllables, and close friend of Francis argued that the Pope is uniquely qualified to lead on climate change. In the past, Santorum has referred to climate change as not climate science, but political science, claiming that global warming has no basis in real understanding of the world. Again, Santorum, ugh, gross, is not a scientist, and his sentiment runs counter to the 97% of actively publishing climate scientists that agree that the climate is warming due to human activity. Like I said before, it seems the GOP politician's political position on climate change is, I'm going to line my pocket, fuck the world, I'll be dead by that time, and being a sociopathic fuckhead Republican, I don't really care if my progeny all die horribly. And now it's time for another palate cleanser. Cool, biting the tire, puncturing it. The cop changed the tire, but when he returned, the bull mastiff cross again attacked his tire, again puncturing it. Another sergeant came to the officer's aid, but he too had his tire attacked and punctured. So an animal control officer was called in, but yes, he too had his tire attacked and punctured. Search iTunes for Sobcast and keep an eye out for Super Gorilla. And now it's time for my science, history, and technology segment I call Cool Shit. Cool. 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 Shit. Cool. Cool. Shit. This time I'll tell you how glass kills bear, one robot trains for the singularity, and this sword's like totally tubular. Glass kills bear. Hugh Glass, who lived from 1780 to 1833, was an American fur trapper and frontiersman noted for his exploits in the American West during the first third of the 19th century. Glass was born in Pennsylvania to Irish parents. He was an explorer of the watershed of the Upper Missouri River in present-day North Dakota, South Dakota, and Montana. Glass was famed, most of all, as a frontier folk hero in his legendary cross-country trek. Glass's most famous adventure began in 1822 when he joined General Ashley's expedition to ascend the Missouri River as part of a fur trading venture. While scouting ahead of his trading partners for game, Glass was surprised by a grizzly bear mother with her two cubs. Before he could fire his rifle, the bear charged, picked him up, and threw him to the ground. Glass got up, grappled for his knife, and fought back, stabbing the animal repeatedly as the grizzly raked him time and time again with her claws. Glass managed to kill the bear with a knife. Let that be a lesson to you. Never give up. But was left badly mauled and unconscious. A man named Henry became convinced the man would not survive his injuries. Henry asked for two volunteers to stay with Glass until he died and then bury him. Bridger, then 19 years old, and Fitzgerald, 
then 23 years old, stepped forward and, as the rest of the party moved on, began digging his grave. Later claiming that they were interrupted in the task by attack by the Arikaras tribe, the pair grabbed Glass's rifle, knife, and other equipment and took flight. Bridger and Fitzgerald incorrectly reported to Henry that Glass had died. Despite his injuries, Glass regained consciousness. He did so only to find himself abandoned, without weapon or equipment, suffering from a broken leg, the cuts on his back exposing bare ribs, and all his wounds festering. Glass lay mutilated and alone more than 200 miles from the nearest American settlement at Fort Kiowa on the Missouri River. In one of the more remarkable treks known to history, Glass set his own leg, ow, wrapped himself in a bear hide his companions had placed over him as a shroud, and began to crawl. To prevent gangrene, Glass laid his wounded back on a rotting log and let maggots eat the dead flesh. Deciding that following the Grand River would be too dangerous because of hostile tribes, Glass crawled overland south towards the Cheyenne River, using Thunder Butte, a prominent landmark visible for miles, as a navigation tool. It would take him six weeks to reach the Cheyenne River. Glass survived mostly on wild berries and roots. On one occasion, he was able to drive two wolves from a downed bison calf and feast it on the meat. Aided by friendly Native Americans who sewed a bear hide, I'm sure it was good old-fashioned sterile bear hide, to his back to cover the exposed wounds as well as providing him with food and a couple of weapons to defend himself. Glass made his way to the Cheyenne River, fashioned a crude raft, and floated down the river, eventually reaching the safety of Fort Kiowa. After a long recuperation, Glass sent out to track down and avenge himself against Bridger and Fitzgerald. When he found Bridger on the Yellowstone near the mouth of the Bighorn River, Glass spared him purportedly because of Bridger's youth. When he found Fitzgerald, he discovered that Fitzgerald had joined the United States Army. Glass restrained himself because the consequences of killing a U.S. soldier was death. However, he did recover his rifle. Glass's survival odyssey has been recounted in numerous books. A monument to Glass now stands near the site of his mauling at the south shore of Shade Hill Reservoir on the forks of the Grand River. Glass would again return to the frontier as a trapper and fur trader, Later, he was employed as a hunter for the garrison at Fort Union. He was killed with his two fellow trappers in the winter of 1833 on the Yellowstone River, an attack by the Arikara. But even death couldn't stop Glass completely. After Glass's death, the Arikara tribe, in April 1833, later tried to pass themselves off as friendly members of the Minutaris tribe to a party of trappers. However, Johnson Gardner, one of the trappers, recognized a rifle that one of the Indians had as the very rifle Glass got back from Fitzgerald after Fitzgerald and Bridger left him for dead in 1823. Alarmed by this, Gardner surmised that they were actually of the Arikaras tribe. The Arikaras were seized and executed in response to the death of Hugh Glass. And our next story, One Robot Trains for the Singularity. Computerized Precision for Deadly Melee Arts For thousands of years, nothing on Earth was deadlier with a sword than a human. People have since largely moved on from slicing weapons to firearms and explosives. But the art of swordsmanship remains a squarely human domain. Or at least it did, until researchers in Japan started teaching freaking robots how to swing swords. Have they not seen the Terminator? In April, Japan's Namiki Laboratory gave a robot arm a foam sword, paired it with high-speed mechanical eyes, and taught it how to duel a human. Perhaps teaching a robot how to fight a human isn't the best course of action. Is there another way to show off the finesse and prowess of a machine arm wielding a sharp blade that doesn't involve training on a human? Have they not seen iRobot? The robot is a creation of Yaskawa, a multinational company that specializes in servos and motors for servos with roots in Japan. No shit, a killer katana-wielding robot has roots in Japan? I would have never guessed. The robot was made for their Yakasawa Bushido project. The company joined with Isawa Machi, a master of the Aijitsu sword fighting technique. Side by side, Machia and the Yaskawa Motoman MH-42 robot arm completed five challenges, first slicing their way through flowers, fruit, pea pods, tatame, then they rapidly cut a thousand times into tatame practice targets. At the end of the last trial, Machi looks exhausted. 
but his unfeeling machine counterpart is ready to go as ever. Isn't it a good thing it can't walk yet? Maniacal laugh. Maniacal laugh. Maniacal laugh. Maniacal laugh. In our next story, this sword's like totally tubular. Think carbon nanotubes are a newfangled thing? Think again. The Crusaders felt the might of the tube. <laughs> Insert dirty thought here. <laughs> when they fought against the Muslims and their distinctive patterned Damascus blades. Sabers from Damascus, now in Syria, date back as far as 900 AD. Strong and sharp, they are made from a type of steel called woots. Their blades bear a banded pattern thought to have been created as the sword was hardened and forged, but the secret of the sword's manufacture was lost in the 18th century. Materials researcher Peter Poffler and his colleagues at Dresden University, Germany, have taken electron microscope pictures of the sword and found that Wootz has a microstructure of nanometer-sized tubes, just like carbon nanotubes used in modern technologies for their lightweight strength. The tubes were only revealed after a piece of the sword was dissolved in hydrochloric acid to remove another microstructure in the sword. Nanowires are the mineral cementite, a type of iron carbide. Wootz is... That's that's a funny funny word. Wootz's ingredients include iron ores from India that contain transitional metal impurities. It was thought that these impurities helped cementite wires to form, but it was unclear how. Poffler thinks carbon nanotubes could be the missing piece of the puzzle. At high temperatures, the impurities in the Indian ores could have catalyzed the growth of nanotubes from carbon in the burning wood and leaves used to make the woots, Poffler suggested. These tubes could then have filled with cementite to produce the wires in the patterned blades. If Poffler is right, nanotube researchers do not mind being preempted by Indian steelmakers. The important fact is that nanotubes were serving some very useful purpose even before they were discovered, says chemist Andre Klobistov of the University of Nottingham, UK. They should inspire us to look for new practical applications of these remarkable nanostructures. The next step, says Poffler, will be to take the latest carbon nanotube technology and work with bladesmiths to try to recreate the lost process. By Edward Hill. And now it's time for Darwin Weeps, stories about dumb people that would make Darwin weep for the future of our species. Our first story, Suspicious Wording. A longtime Georgia state senator who had spent years trying to defeat a law that required motorcycle riders to wear helmets has died after being hit by another car while driving his motorcycle. Ben Joseph Brush Jr., was killed after another driver allegedly pulled out of an intersection and didn't see him on his Harley-Davidson. The driver, Kimberly Crouch, has been reportedly charged in the accident. According to the Augusta Chronicle, Bush spent his years in office fighting against motorcycle safety laws. Brush is most remembered for sponsoring two groups of bills, one dealt with motorcycles and the other with education. The motorcycle bill included one to repeal the state's requirement to wear helmets, and one to allow bikers to treat red lights as stop signs if the bike wasn't big enough to trigger sensors embedded in the pavement. He never succeeded with the helmet bill, but during this year's session, his lobbying led to the passage of the red light bill. While it's unclear whether Brush's accident would have been affected by whether or not he was wearing a helmet, we do know helmet laws save lives. So far, reports are admitting whether or not he was wearing a helmet when he died. Which... With a little deductive reasoning, I can make a reasonable guess that he wasn't wearing a helmet. Here are a couple of reasons. If Brush wasn't wearing a helmet, then he was breaking the law, and his fellow Republicans probably have enough power in Georgia to keep whether or not he was wearing a helmet unclear. And we all know politicians never bend or break the law, right? If Brush was wearing a helmet, then his death could have been used by his allies to bolster his cause, and therefore I seriously doubt it would have remained unclear. Given the precarious nature of riding at high speeds on an engine, two wheels, and almost nothing else, a helmet is arguably the only real safety measure a rider can take. According to the National Highway Traffic Study Administration, head injury is the leading cause of death in motorcycle accidents. But wearing a helmet can cut a person's chance of death almost in half. Despite these drying statistics, politicians have been rolling back helmet laws in many states. Why? Because America... Because freedom. 
After noticing an alarming surge in motorcycle-involved deaths in recent years, the CDC conducted a study that found a steep rise was in part due to the repeal of these laws. In Florida, for instance, motorcycle deaths doubled in the five years after lawmakers allowed riders to go helmetless. Pennsylvania saw similar effects. Now, I suspect if you grew up with helmet laws, you're more likely to accept the fact that wearing a helmet is part of riding a motorcycle. And here's a study from 2011 that would seem to agree. The study states that the percentage of people killed in motorcycle crashes who were not wearing helmets is higher in states without mandatory helmet laws. Let's crunch some numbers. There are three states with no helmet laws, and the percentage of people killed in motorcycle crashes who were not wearing helmets is 84.6%. There are 20 states that require helmet use for riders 17 years old and younger, and the percentage of people killed in motorcycle crashes who were not wearing helmets is 68.6%. There are 8 states that require helmet use for riders 20 years old and younger, and the percentage of people killed in motorcycle crashes who were not wearing helmets is 53.5%. There are 19 states that require helmet use for all riders, and the percentage of people killed in motorcycle crashes who are not wearing helmets is 10.7%. Let's run through those again, starting at less safety conscious to more safety conscious. 84.6%, 68.6%, 53.5%, and lastly, 10.7%. Are you starting to see my point? If not, have you been in a motorcycle accident while not wearing a helmet? Hopefully, they'll honor Brush's memory by ensuring safety regulations for motorcyclists stay in place, even if that means going against what Brush would have wanted. You've eaten your vegetables, now here's your dessert. Let's start shifting towards the funny. Our next story, Excite Bike. A man named Yu is suing a taxi motorcycle rider in Shanghai after he broke his penis by falling off the back of the bike while watching pornography on his phone. <laughs> The man had been on the back of the motorcycle in Shanghai with another customer and the driver in front of him when they went over a speed bump. Since he had been watching pornography on his phone at the time, for some reason Yu stated that he was unable to keep his balance and fell off the back of the vehicle. And when he fell, it's believed that he damaged the tissue around his penis and suffered erectile dysfunction. He is now trying to sue the driver for $65,000. Initially, Yu told doctors that his penis was broken, but they assured him by explaining there were no bones in his anatomy. They should have explained to Yu that human roosters are boneless cock. However, severe impacts can crush the tissue in the penis, which is what Yu suffered. Ew, seriously? That is so gross. Song of Time and Song of Storms by Taylor Davis. And our next story, imitation is the best form of felony. Police are not happy with a man they say set up a drunk driving checkpoint complete with road flares while pretending to be a Pennsylvania state trooper. They are even unhappier because he was allegedly drunk at the time. Troopers say 19-year-old Logan Shallis of Somerset, a town southeast of Pittsburgh, parked his vehicle diagonally across the state road 601 and set up road flares at about 4 a.m. Saturday. A motorist who was stopped said Shellis claimed he was a state trooper and demanded to see the driver's license, registration, and insurance papers. When the real troopers arrived, police said Shellis tried to hand a BB pistol to the car's passenger and said, I can't get caught with this. A local resident, Sue Weimer, said she knew something was wrong because of how late it was. We saw cop cars, we saw flares, we couldn't figure out what was going on. It was about 3 o'clock in the morning. Somerset Borough Police Chief Randy Cox now we have an officer whose name is impersonating a porn star. Anyway, Randy Cox <laughs> said another giveaway was that police never man checkpoints on their own. You can see as many as 18 officers being required to be involved in a checkpoint. According to police, Shalas had bloodshot eyes and slurred speech. He also had a pair of handcuffs and a portable scanner with him. He was charged with carrying a firearm without a license, driving under the influence of alcohol, unlawful restraint, possessing an instrument of crime, official oppression, criminal coercion, reckless endangerment, impersonating a public servant, harassment, disorderly conduct, and public drunkenness. And the icing on the cake is, Shalas identified himself as Steve Rogers. I wonder if his rank was Captain Steve Rogers. When Captain America throws his mighty shield, all those who chose to oppose his shield must yield. And now, they're not important, 
but they are funny, weird, entertaining, or at least good enough to make it into the news. It's not not noteworthy news. And our last story, The Hard Ride. A British cycling enthusiast attended a World Naked Bike Rider, or WNBR, event causing a stir and was booted from the event. For, wait for it, the WNBR event in Canterbury was exactly what it sounds like, with cyclists asked to go as bare as you dare while riding around on bikes. But according to the Cambridge News, one participant was simply too enthusiastic about the event for the other riders to endure. One participant told the paper, Everyone was taking their clothes off to get ready for the ride. I heard gasps, and I turned around. It was a horrible sight. It's fair to say he was overexcited and got aroused. It looked like he was enjoying the event a bit too much. Police approached and ordered the man to put his pants back on before escorting him away. The arousal apparently violated local nudity laws because... While non-sexualized nudity is illegal in the UK, sexualized nudity can draw the wrath of police. Um, he's giving me a stiffy. You know. <laughs> he has an erection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Race organizer Barry Freeman said in a statement on Facebook, We do not accept this behavior, and he was dealt with and removed before the ride started. This is the first time the Canterbury ride has dealt with troublesome attendees. Last year, a man was kicked out because... Although nude, he didn't bring a bike. <laughs> I would guess, very drunk man went, Hey, we're all taking our clothes on. All right. The World Naked Bike Ride builds itself as a protest against oil dependency and car culture, and describes the rider's nudity as a symbol of the vulnerability of cyclists in traffic. It has hosted dozens of naked rides around the world. And that's it for our show today, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining me. No regular show next week. I have quite a few things that I need to get done this summer, but I will have something for you. So never fear. In the meantime, I am Jeff. I am a seeker of Veritas. Check out my Tumblr page at sovcast.tumblr.com. That's S-O-V-C-A-S-T tumblr.com. Thank you. Every time I walk down the street, direction. Oh, I see a woman I like to beat, direction. I think of cheese, I think of mud, direction. I think of blood, I think of love, direction. Erection by Narkill.